book club call. We are recording this, so don't say anything you don't want anyone to hear you say. Um, so today's book is Think Big and Act Bigger, The Rewards of Being Relentless by Jeffrey Hazlett. And the author himself will be jumping on our call at noon. So I, you know, I thought that Jeffrey, Jeff, I guess he likes to be called, is pretty, uh, I've seen him speak in person a couple times. He's definitely, and, and for me, I listen to the book on audio. So I know Greg's on the call. I'm not sure who else is on the call. Uh, have, did you guys read the book or did you listen to it on audio? I read it. You did. Did it come across in the book that he was a character, the author? It, it did. It was um, the arrogance came through and <laughs> clearly, which is okay. I mean, I don't. I mean, you know, I, I think that based on the topic, I think you kind. You know, based on wh- where his background. No, you're not going to be a timid guy when you're writing that book, right? You know, you're not. I mean, I think it, you need to have some sort of. I mean, he calls it pig-headed in his in the book, so I think you need that. Yeah. Yeah. What were what were your if you know your top three takeaways? Um, you know, my primary takeaway really was this is a mindset book, and the the really is focusing your mindset from a positive and just from a positive attitude. And you just outlining, like, you can do anything you want if you have a positive outlook in anything that you're trying to accomplish. And so that's where I, I it, it really became a total mindset shift. Like, he, he's trying to convey, look, in order to do the things that we're talking about here, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in what you're trying to accomplish. And there really nothing can stand in your way. Mm-hmm. Well, and it helps um, you... If you believe in if, if you believe in what you're doing, then I believe you will have passion for it, right? And then you you will be relentless with it because I think that a lot of times people give up, and when they give up, it's because they don't believe right in themselves or in what they're doing. Would you agree? No, I, I would agree, and I mean this, this book is actually pretty timely for me. Because my son, my youngest son, is he's 12, and he's going through a period of where he's really unsure of himself, and mm-hmm. he's trying out for basketball, and he's doing all these things, and you can just he's he he doesn't have this mindset like he he's extremely talented at what he does, and he just doesn't see it, and so you know, trying, we're, we're in the process of really trying to change his thinking of, look, you can do this. You can do this. This is not hard. And, you know, but it's okay if it is hard. You're going to learn something new. And then once you're becoming new, you become better at it. And, and then, you know, so it was, it was very timely, kind of hit, it very, hit very clearly home, at least for us in my household. Oh, that's awesome. Does he like to read? He does, he's 12. He is 12. And all he wants to do is play – he wants to play basketball with his friends. He wants to play basketball on, you know, on Video online. Game. So yeah. he's not reading, unfortunately. So did, did, does he, did he make the team? He, he did make the team. Um, that, that's, a, that's a whole other separate story for another time. But, yeah, he, ultimately he did make the team. Awesome. So that, that was good. 
Yeah, so, I mean, I do think that anything in life, you know, and like mindset, right, is the buzzword, right? <laughs> you know, a few years ago it was thinking out of the box, and now it's, you know, limiting beliefs and mindset. But, but it's so true if you don't believe you can lease the elbow space in the shopping center, right? If you, if you don't believe you can do it, or, you know, I, I'm holding this women's event in January for, to, to kind of help, peop, help women understand that investing in real estate is, you know, okay for women too. And I believe it's 100% or 99% mindset. They don't think they know the numbers well enough. They think it's too complicated. They're afraid of the risk. And, and men have these issues too, but men, I believe, there's way, way, way more men investing in real estate than women. Like there's statistics on it. So I believe it comes down to mindset because they're certainly smart enough. And they're, you know, they, if they don't know the numbers, they can learn the numbers. And there's risk in the stock market. There's risk in leaving your money in, this, in, a, in the bank. So, you know, and, you, and there's ways to mitigate risk. So I think it all goes back. It's the same, like, you know, the title of his book, Think Big But Act Bigger. I think, I think the title of his book is interesting because I would say that, you know, people say, how many people say, well, I had that Uber idea, right? But no one, no one takes action on their ideas. So thinking big is great, but if you don't act, if you don't, combine that with acting, then nothing's ever going to happen in your life. Absolutely not. I mean, there, there's, this is, this book, I mean, you can apply the, the, just the basic principles in this book to a, I mean, to a whole host of industries. I mean, you could, I mean, there's, there's clear science to it. You know, there, there's definitely psychological impact to it. Um, so that, that, that's why, I mean, I got a lot out of it. I mean, and, and it was a pretty short book, but, I mean, it, it really hit home um, on a bunch of different levels, at least for me. Um, and, and, I mean, it's interesting about the women in real estate because and, and investing because th- those are the ones that I'm noticing on LinkedIn. I mean, perhaps they're just the ones that are more vocal, but women are definitely the ones that, that are at least promoting their locations more so than – than the other, than the alternative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who, is anyone else on the call that would like to speak up about mindset and thinking big and acting bigger, whether you've read the book or not? Hey, this is Brooke with Rivercrest. I'm sorry I got on a little bit late. How are you? <laughs> um, good. So I just wanted to say, too, that I think one of the things that he pointed out was kind of having confidence in in yourself and your abilities and how that kind of changes your mindset of taking you from the thought of like, oh, this is a good idea and feeling unsure of yourself more to you, you know, the information, you know what you need to do. And then, you know, turning that information into action. So kind of similar to what's already been discussed, but I thought it was interesting too, of just kind of having confidence in what you already know and then figuring out what you need to know to kind of take you to that next level. Right. And I, when I think that comes a, a lot into play two in two things. So um, I think that we are in an industry where we're surrounded by veterans in the industry, right? And, um, uh, and it, this happened to me, you know, I had 
an intern who turned into a leasing agent, Mackenzie, and Mackenzie walks in one day and says, I think we should prospect on Facebook. And I said, oh, how stupid. Like I, I literally, I think I literally said those words to her face. Because mm-hmm. at the time, I wasn't on Facebook. I thought Facebook was stupid. And I would tell everyone I, you know, my sister who seemed like she was on it 12 hours a day, I just said, How, this is so stupid. And then I heard, I literally, as a teacher, I heard those words coming out of my mouth to Mackenzie and then saying, well, I'm sorry, maybe you're right. You should just go, go try that and see what happens. And again, very condescending. Talk about arrogant, Greg. And um, and then, you know, I think you guys know what happens. She, we'd been after this Jimmy's Chocolates guy for, I don't know, five years. I had been after them for years, much years, many, many, many years. They had been in my market for 29 years in one location. And we had dropped by flyers. We had gone and bought chocolates. We had, you know, gone and had wine in his wine, little wine, wine area that he had in this store. And she sends a Facebook text message, and like three weeks later, we had a sign lease. So, you know, I think that sometimes when we, when leasing agents and some junior leasing agents have ideas, I think veterans in the office poo-poo those ideas. And, um, you know, I tried that, it didn't work type of thing. And I always preach, don't listen to the veterans. Go with your instinct. If you think it's a good idea, if you think walking into a a vacancy and doing a video and posting it on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok or LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, try it. And don't let the veteran who's sitting in the desk in the corner office say for, for you to not try it. And that goes back to having confidence in your ideas. And maybe, maybe the idea doesn't work, but what if it does work? And I think it's important that if you have ideas, creative ideas, to try them, you know, continue to try them, because if you just give up because a veteran in the office says, you know, that's stupid, or I tried that and it doesn't work, you know, he might have tried something that didn't work five years ago, but it might work today. And I think the more ideas we try, the more creative we are. You know, even if the ideas don't work, we're continually thinking of new ideas to try to lease space, right? I mean, I, you know, up until five years ago, I don't think, except for maybe Spirit Halloween or a fireworks place, I never did a pop-up. And then, you know, we had this idea, well, let's try let's try this for a pop-up or let's try that for a pop-up. And, and then now the pop-ups work and some of them turn into long-term leases. But if we didn't have that idea or we didn't try it, we wouldn't have known. So I, and think, I think that's, yeah, yeah I think ahead. one of the things too that he had mentioned was kind of hiring people that are going to teach you something too, not to just hire people that already know the exact same stuff that you do, especially in the example that you used about social media and how at first, you know, you were very opposed to it or didn't think that it would really work out. And so I think too, kind of me being in the position that I am, which is at a a junior leasing associate level, 
for me, it kind of gave me the confidence to like want to approach these ideas that I've had and everything and, you know, hope that my, my director would be willing and open to that information, but also too from the standpoint of, you know, Beth, where the position that you're in and then of course in turn my director would be, you know, kind of having that faith in the people that you're hiring and trusting the information that they're giving you and kind of giving folks that leeway to kind of experiment and kind of do the trial and error and see what works and especially if it's something that they're willing to try out and stuff like that, I think it's something that should definitely be um, encouraged. Well, and, exactly. and I would also say that, you know, I mean, the, the state of the retail industry is just is so fluid that the more, we're in a position where we just need to learn more, learn more right. about, you know, how a retailer is operating, you know, really give, dive in the weeds a little bit as to, you know, understanding that retailer, having a little strong, you know, more empathy towards them that, you know, just try to figure out what makes their mind tick. And we really can't do that without learning more and trying different things and just figuring out who, you know, what they really do. I mean, you know, for me, I've actually started volunteering in a retail space. I just kind of help them out wherever I can because I really want to understand from a retail perspective what goes through their head. And so, I mean, my wife just happens to work there, but, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot more time on a strategic level diving in, understand why they're making the purchasing decisions they're making, you know, who they're talking to, what their customers are, and, I mean, just to truly understand the retail brain, which I never had before. I've never worked in a retail space in my life. So is this it is a local kind of, tenant or a national tenant? Local. It's a local mom and pop. She does That's a, awesome. she has a retail she has a retail shop. Um but she also um you know she she runs an interior design firm here in you know in, in Houston. So um yeah, so it's really kind of just it's it, it's changing my mindset. It's really trying to re um relearning or basically unlearning what I unlearning the assumptions I've had, and then relearning what makes the most sense. Yeah, you know, Kara and I showed space this morning to an Asian restaurant, and they were telling us they have seven locations, and they were telling us that the new location they're building, their typical restaurants were like 1,600 to 1,800 square feet. The new one that they um, signed a lease on that they're waiting to get delivery from the landlord to start building out is 3,400 square feet, and what they're doing is they're doing two kitchens. They're putting a kitchen in the back for deliveries and then a kitchen front-facing to the restaurant, and they're going to use it as like a spoken wheel where they will, it'll be a commissary for five other smaller, now 1,000 to 1,200 square feet locations. Wow. This is a local tenant doing this, a local tenant. Now, you've heard that, you know, know, you've seen that with nationals, right? But um, I thought it was awesome that they are learning and being flexible and fluid and coming up with ideas because, you know, and that, that t- that's important for him to tell us these things because, you know, we're not going to be the one doing the 3,400. He's already signed the lease. But if we were, he couldn't do that in an area where I didn't have parking behind him, 
for deliveries right in and out. So right. again, so so different. And then another difference in in just being creative and and thinking and coming up with ideas is, you know, when I was at Shop Talk last year, when I kept hearing all of the stats about mobile delivery, mobile delivery, mobile delivery. So I come back and I talked, and, and in the past, and Greg, I, and I think I had e- emailed you or did something connected with you on LinkedIn about this. Um, in the past, if a tenant asked me for reserved parking, that was like, you know, a huge no. I, right. I never wanted to give reserved parking, ever. I'd say I put a sign in front that said, you know, 10-minute parking, but I never wanted to put a sign that said, you know, La Spada's mobile to-go parking. And when I realized at Shop Talk what they were talking about, how this mobile to-go business has increased sales across the board with multiple, you know, different tenants, I went back and, and met my, you know, my little La Spada subs hoagie guy who's got, I think, eight locations and said, Harry, if you agree to, you know, create an app and do a mobile to go, which for him, he should do it because pretty much everyone orders the same thing. When, you know, I, I, I order two things there. I mean, I've been going there for eight years. I order the same two things. So if you had an app and you can just push the button and, and it goes right to the credit card, you know, taking out all of the friction possible, instead of going in and standing in line behind 40 people, which is their average line is 40 people, I said if you create an app and do mobile to go, I will give you a reserve parking place. Now, he said, oh, we, all, we, already, we already do um, – uh, grub, uh, the deli- de- I don't know what the delivery guys are. Delivery guys or Uber Eats or you know we already do that. And I and he's missing the point. And I tried to ex- you know I tried to tell him what I was thinking and it it didn't go anywhere. But maybe the you know some of the younger people in his in his shop will will consider it. But here's a here's a situation where literally I've been in the business 34 years and in the last year I've considered. How can I help my tenants make more money, and is there something I can do to help that by giving them a reserved parking space in front of their store? And I know you said that you guys are doing it at certain mall restaurants, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we've done it for a couple food courts, um, I, you know, mostly, mostly with regards to food court Chick-fil-A's. And they've been okay. I don't think they've really pushed the needle as much as Chick-fil-A would have hoped. Um, that's just the shopper mindset. But it, mm-hmm. it, it, it really depends on, because most of the cases, in most of the malls here in Houston and, and across the country, there's a Chick-fil-A in the mall, but there's a Chick-fil-A outside too. And, and so because the Chick-fil-A outside is going to, is going to reap the yeah. benefits of those additional sales because it's just, yes, it's just convenient. Mm-hmm. Whoever's talking, is that, that's not Jeff, is it, who just spoke up? Okay. So um, it's so funny about Chick-fil-A. Uh, my, my son, we finished a golf tournament, and we were starving, and it was, like, late at night. And he's, I said, what do you want? He goes, I love Chick-fil-A. So I put it in my – it was in an area we weren't from, and I put it in my GPS. And I'm like, okay. So we, like, are following the GPS to go to this Chick-fil-A, and it pulls me up to the mall. 
And I'm like, <laughs> crap. Like the last thing I wanted to do was get out of my car and go to the mall. <laughs> it was funny. But, you know, I, I noticed at Outback, we, my son works at Burger King, and at the Outback next to where he works, uh, I was there to pick him up one day, and I, and I was just, you know, hanging out reading or doing whatever, and I look up, and in, in the parking lot adjacent to the Burger King, there's an Outback. And where there used to be three or four reserved parking signs for mobile to go, there are now like 12. So huge, huge difference. The next time I see the Outback broker, I'm going to ask him what, how much does that add to their, you know, when my, my other son worked at Fridays, they had two people in the back of the restaurant that were solely worked on to-go orders for lunch. That was, that was their sole job, two people in the kitchen working on to-go orders. That, that did not exist three to four years ago. Not at all. Wow. Anyone else on the call want to comment either on the topics we're talking about or on Jeff Hazlett's book, Think Big and Act Bigger, The Rewards of Being Relentless? I hear some other folks. Josie's telling me we've got about 30 people on the call, so some of you speak up. Or you're all chicken. You don't have to have read the book to talk about confidence and creative ideas and being fluid in the retail industry, et cetera, et cetera. So the, so the other question I think is interesting, you know, how do you balance arrogance or what he likes to say pig-headedness and confidence? Brooke, what do you think? How do you balance? Because, you know, you have to have, you really have to have a lot of self-confidence to deal with the rejections that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, right? No, I definitely agree. I don't, it's a good question. I don't know how that balance works. I think some of it is going to change depending on, too, like who you're working with. Um, I've only been doing leasing now for about six months, but I found that depending on, what kind of group it is that I'm working with, my attitude and my presentation, body language, everything kind of changes depending on how that room is. Um, with some groups, I found that um, not necessarily being abrasive, I don't know if abrasive is really the right word, but with some of those groups that I've worked with, I have to be a little bit more on the arrogant, pig-headed side versus just the confident side in order to get my point across and to kind of play play their game sort of thing. Um, So I think some of it would come down to knowing your audience and what kind of attitude and demeanor you need to have for that to kind of help evaluate what that balance looks like. But I definitely think that, I mean, I've been in meetings before where, you know, the scale is tipped from being confident to, okay, this person is just kind of being a jerk and arrogant. And I think a lot of it comes from also listening and you know, again, that's part of reading a room, but I think some of it comes down to listening of what their needs are and then making sure that if you are going to be confident, you're confident with the information that you're providing and not necessarily with, like, the, the delivery. Because I think the delivery is where you can kind of change the, the confidence to arrogance based on how you're presenting that information. Even if you're completely right, you can still come off as being a total jerk and arrogant if you, if you present the information in the wrong way. 
Right, which goes to, you know, what I, what I like to practice is instead of, I have, you know, I, Tom Hopkins said this, telling ain't selling, asking is. So what, how I try to border or, or how I try to navigate arrogance over confidence is to ask a lot of questions. Like, so instead of saying, you know, you sh- and this is what I hear leasing agents do all the time, well, you should come to my center because da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And um, I, what I like to say is, hey, have you seen the cranes down the street? Oh, no, I haven't seen them. Oh, well, so uh, there's seven cranes, which, you know, is, is – telling us in, in what we've read in the newspaper and what we've, what we've heard in, you know, with the local community or the mayor or economic development, you know, the new hospital that will be open next year, it, you know, will house, you know, 240 new beds and uh, 600 employees. And, you know, so how, how do you think that the additional daytime population will impact your business? Instead of telling them, you know, oh, you know, I'm sure, you, you know, the hospital down the street and the new college expansion will definitely impact your business, da-da-da-da-da. They don't want to be told that, prospects. You know, I, I think that trying to ask them questions about the information, like, you know, I always have leasing agents go through an exercise where list, and this is a great exercise for everyone that's leasing on the call, pick a property that you're leasing and list five benefits, so it's across the street from a college. Uh, it's, you know, the, the average sales per square foot is $900. Uh, it's got phenomenal visibility and exposure. List those benefits. And then in the column to the right of it, or, you know, corresponding to each statement, write a question that you can ask a prospect that he or she will answer with your statement. So why did you call on my property today? Oh, I love the traffic. Well, what about the traffic? What kind of traffic are you looking for? Oh, we love college students. So if there is a way that you can take your benefits and instead of telling them, asking it in a, way, in a, question, in a questioning way, in a curiosity way uh, of how so that they can respond telling you the benefit. It's a brilliant, I learned it from Tom Hopkins 34 years ago, it helps me all of the time because they, we, that way they can be the expert. They can tell you. They're, selling, they're telling you how, why they're sold on the deal. Has anyone ever used this in, with, their, with prospects, dealing with prospects? I have it, and I feel stupid that I haven't. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. There's no. The only, the only stupid person is me telling Mackenzie she was stupid for thinking about Facebook. <laughs> no, well, yeah. So, so, but you understand the concept, how I've described it. Yes, and I mean the the idea is, I mean, at the end of the day, our, our objective as salespeople is we need to we we need to get our prospects and our targets engaged in a conversation, and once right. that happens, you can you can uncover everything because once you get a retailer talking about themselves, they'll tell you everything you want to hear, even more so. Especially, um, before, especially before you do what? Well, especially before you tell them, what, tell them how much you cost. No, who's that? Who just spoke up? Uh, Peter Alexander. I just couldn't help myself. 
I, I personally find I personally find it's most important to build rapport with anyone I'm trying to get anything from. Rapport built, you know, being uh, uh, that sort of friendship feeling that you get with someone that you trust or somebody that you believe is, has your best interest at heart because no one wants to be sold to, but everyone right. wants to feel like they're, you know, could help somebody or, or is being helped in some sort of dynamic. A hundred percent. Good. Uh, excellent. So, but, but back to my question, when, when do you get the most information from the prospect? It's the only time in the entire relationship you have leverage. It's before you do what? Before the leasing agent does what? Tell them the rate? Yes. <laughs> before 100%. You, before you give the rate. Oh. Okay. That's the one thing they want from you, and until you give it, if you can ask all of your questions, all of your qualifying questions, they're trying to impress you with their business, and they will answer most of, if not all of your questions, especially the serious people. They love that you're asking the questions. Once you give the rate, they then shut up. So that's when you ask all of the questions. I think Jeff might have joined the call. Is Jeff on the call? No? Josie? I guess not. Josie's texting me. We had a, 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 a new number just joined. So, so that, is, that, that, is, that will increase your income by 30%. If you, you know, besides just saying, what's your business, how many square feet do you want, do you have any other locations, and then you give them the rate. And then, and please don't say, I'm quoting or I'm asking. I'm quoting $20 a square feet or I'm asking $20 a square foot. Just say the rent is $20 a square foot because when you say I'm quoting or I'm asking, you're basically telling the prospect that you're negotiating. And we don't want to do that. So if you can ask, you know, uh, how much money, how much does it cost to build out your store? What are your, what, if, if you have other locations, what does the average unit do in sales volume? If it's a startup, what are you projecting in sales? Because we know rent is a function of sales. So if you get that number, you will know right away if they can afford to be in your shopping center or not. And they will tell you all of that information, but once you give them the rate, they shut, they, they shut up like a clam, or they clam up. And, and then they go get that yellow and black book from Barnes & Noble that says negotiating for dummies, and it says stop talking. Yeah. And they'll, and they'll stop talking to you. Go ahead. Hello? Did someone say something? Oh, sorry, I was just laughing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so yeah, so so that that curiosity. I just posted something this week. Always be curious. Always be canvassing, and always be curious, and always be opening. Meaning, always be asking the questions, and try to ask the questions before you give them the one thing that they want. And what I find is the people that get impatient or you know, kind of get agitated because you're asking for so much. And I always say, don't worry, I just have a few more. I, I won't ask you for your firstborn. 
um, the ones that get agitated are, are the ones that turn out to not be the qualified ones. The ones that have the three or four locations that are serious are very happy you're asking all of these questions. You know, we were, we were in a space, we were showing space yesterday, Kara and I, to a restaurant concept. Uh, a chef, it's a chef, he cooks all around the, the county at different events. I, he, met, he does some catering, but he's never had his own, his own restaurant. And, you know, I said, when, what, and this is a, kind of a second-gen restaurant. It has a walk-in cooler and freezer, but it doesn't have a hood and a grease trap. So we said, so what's your timing? And then he goes, oh, you know, we hope we're, we're planning to be open by February 1st. And I was like, um, and why do you think that? And he's like, well, that's what the guys at uh, Restaurant Depot told us when we went to go look at equipment to buy. Well, there's no way. In South Florida, I said, I said well, how, what our experience is, it takes about a month to do plans and about three to four months to get a permit, and then probably, depending on how much work you're going to do, three or four months to do the work. So we're looking at nine months, and I'd throw in another month because of, you know, Christmas holidays are in the middle. They were incredulous and looking at me like I had three heads. I said, and they had told me, they had told us that they were looking at other locations, and I said, haven't other landlords told you this? And they said, no. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's how it is here in South Florida, in, or at least in, in the town that we're, we're in right now. So, but any other thoughts or comments about thinking big and mindset and acting? Like, have you had an idea that you didn't follow through on because you didn't take the action part of the think big, act bigger, and you lost out? Who's got that story? Someone on the call, I'm sure, had the Uber idea, right? Hey, Beth. It's Eddie Gonzalez from Phoenix. Hello, Eddie. I'm going to see you you? live and in person in a few months. I'm looking forward to it. I did not take action on a particular deal, and it doesn't exactly go with the flow of this. It was a purchase. There's a gentleman that's very active in our market right now that's buying land to develop car washes. And I kid you not, I drove past this site, I would say a dozen times, and said to myself, you know, it might work for him. You know, it might work for him. Now, I probably wouldn't like it. Uh, I don't know. And I wasn't oh, working you said no for the prospect. Yeah, I sure did. And then one day I was looking at Vizda. Guess who purchased that piece of dirt? Mm. He did. The guy that you had the idea for. Uh. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So that changed. That was probably two years ago. And now if anything even feels in my gut like that might be able to work, I just deliver it. Right, because you can't say no for the prospect, right? Exactly. Exactly. Just one of those little examples. I think we can all learn by my mistake. Which is why I thank you for sharing it. We've all been there. I'm sure we've all been there where we've had an idea, think big, great idea, and then we didn't act bigger, 
and we drove down the street, and lo and behold, we see a coming soon sign in someone else's shopping center for the idea we had, but we didn't call the guy. We didn't take action, yes? I'm, you know, if we could do a virtual raise your hand with the yes. people on the call, I'm sure everyone's raising their hand. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Any more ladies on the call besides Brooke that I would like to hear from today? They're shy. <laughs> How about, I loved that, so I, I'm, I'm hoping he's going to join us because he has a very great story about the apprentice that I want him to share. So I liked his, his very no-nonsense, no-BS mentality. You know, he had the girl that worked for him that came in and the, she came in and she goes, should I take color copies to the meeting? And he goes, I want to hear that. I want to see, I want to hear where she is now. I, I, I want, that's one of the questions I want to ask him. I don't know. Where is Caitlin now? Caitlin. Yeah. It's the, it, it became the Caitlin rule. He said, um, he goes, you have 21 questions to ask me. And I, get, and I didn't understand what he meant, like 21 in her life of working there, but you have 21 questions. Would this be one of your questions? You can ask me about the meaning of life. You can ask me all this stuff, but, you know, do you want to ask me about color copies? And she goes, I guess not. And he goes, good, that was a good career move answer. And then he goes, but let me ask you a question. He goes, we're leaving for the meeting in two minutes. Would you have had time to make the color copies? And she goes, no. And he goes, okay, don't ask questions you know the answers to. And that became, in his company, the Caitlin rule. I love that. But, you know, he t and, but one of his rules is adapt, change, or die. And, you know, we all, everyone on this call lives that every day with our retail industry, right? Retail, adapt, change, or die. We've seen how many retailers that didn't adapt and didn't change, and they died, Every day we get, you know, we hear about a new one. I mean, I, I have a Pier 1. I have a Pier 1 in Kirkland's in two of my shopping centers. And we keep hearing that they're, you know, on their last legs, certainly Pier 1, and now, you know, Kirkland's is, is starting to have problems. I just think that the home goods and targets of the world has killed those two companies' businesses. Has anyone heard any more about Pier One or Kirkland's? You know, from the Texas perspective, this, Texas is weird because it just it it, it just doesn't follow your conventional retail rule. You know, the Kirkland's here in Sugarland is like a line out the door. I mean, really? Just, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is busy all the time. Huh. And. Pier 1, not so much, but what's interesting about Pier 1 is that so Sugarland or the Fort Bend County, Texas, is like the most diverse county in the country, which is I blew me away when I heard that, but it makes a lot of sense. So they have a lot of international goods that people just like, oh, this reminds me of home. This reminds me of home. And it's like, it's weird. I mean, it just, it just it blew me away when I, when I walked into a Kirkland that's just down the street. And it's just like, good God, it's crazy. Wow. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, I, and then and then for for those of us in leasing, you know, going talking about adapting, changing, or dying. I think you know I I just gave a speech to a group of CCIMs down here. Um, there was about forty people in the room, thirty to forty. The average age was older than me. There were there was one like maybe one or two younger guys. I would say ninety five percent of the room was not on social media. And I said, guys, I said, raise your hand if you know what Zillow is. They all raised their hand. I said, if you don't think Zillow is going to start affecting the commercial real estate industry that we are all in, and if you don't have a brand, and where is the best place to have a brand, Greg, and Eddie, where is the best place to have and create a brand? Social media. Social media. And I'm and I'm look and look at I am I really respect people that have their CCIMs because I'm not smart enough to have it. I took one class and I thought I was going to fail it. So these are really 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 smart people. But they're older and they think that they don't have to jump on the social media bandwagon. And I think it's a huge mistake. Well, and I think a lot of people look at social media and, and they think like, oh, well, I have to post every day or I have to be creative. I have to do this. I mean, you know, not, not all of us are as smart as Eddie Gonzalez. So, you know, that, I get that. But True. you can be engaging <laughs> and you, you can create a personal brand by, you know, by just, being engaged in the community, you know, you don't have to be the most creative person in the room. Lord knows I'm not, but I'm social enough, and I like to talk about, you know, and I like to comment, and I like to, you know, just kind of engage with others that have a similar mindset and a similar uh, background and, and similar interests. And, and that's kind of how you create a personal brand. It's, it's, it's not just slapping somebody in the face. It's, right. You know, yet you have to be genuine. I think that's really what it comes down to. You're, you're gen- the more you're genuine, genuine, it, it, it will come through so much more on social media than it will on any other, any other um, platform. Exactly. I think Jeff has joined. Je- Jeff, are you on? Uh, I am here, and I apologize for being late, but that's my life. No problem. We were just talking about adapting, changing, or dying in our beloved retail industry that we are all in on this call. Fantastic. Well, that, I was listening to the call. I listened to the uh, person talk, and it's, you're spot on, being real. You know, somebody asked me once, too, how do you be real? And I thought, what the heck kind of question is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. But, you, you know, out in the social media world, you, you can, just being yourself, being you. I mean, it's hard enough being ourselves. Why would we want to be somebody else? And, and you know, I, I watched recently, you know, some Instagram uh, who has millions of followers uh, tried to launch a brand with T-shirts, and she only sold two of them. You know, right. so there's, a, yeah, there's a person who's not being real, not, you know, a whole community was fake. So, you know, I don't care the total number of followers that you have as long as you're engaged with the people that you want to engage with. That's the key. Exactly. Well, let me introduce you. So I know Jeff from uh, – we're both members of the National Speakers Association, and I saw Jeff 
uh, probably three or four years ago. He did a session on podcasting at 7 in the friggin' morning, 7 a.m., and I got my butt up. Someone said, you need to go see this guy, Jeff. And he talked about Dunkin' Donuts and, and bacon, and I fell in love with him. And I just, I, I've, I've read, he's, I think, five books you, you have. I think I've read three of them. Do you have five or more now? No, I, I have four, and we're working oh. on a series of about twelve. So yeah, what more oh my coming gosh. out this night? Yeah. And Jeff is when he, Jeff has his sessions at the NSA conference. They're standing room only because Jeff is a personality. And I said I sent Jeff's assistant an email today saying, please, you know, he can be all who he is on this call. He doesn't have to hold back. And oh. um, so we've been talking about your book, but I I um, I would love for you to share your story about whose idea it was to have that famous show that we all know and love on TV, because oh, I love you, that story. Uh, yeah, you're talking about The Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, I could, yeah. Uh, it was mine. It was mine. So I was sitting around a room in which we were looking. At the time, I was chief marketing officer of the Eastman Kodak uh, globally, and you know, I bought and sold over 250 businesses in my career, about $25 billion, but I'd stepped in as a CMO of Kodak about a decade ago. And did my best to, to, to do my best, and that wasn't enough, obviously. It was, uh, didn't have enough runway for a lot of us that went there to try to help do some things. But, yeah, we were sitting around thinking about launching this new inkjet printer and wanted a way to do it. And I said, well, let's come up with some ideas. So we were throwing some ideas around. I didn't like what the team did. And I said, you know, we really need to put it on this apprentice show that, that Trump's doing with Mark Burnett. And on NBC, and they said, well, how do we do that? And I said, well, call Donald Trump. And they said, well, we can't call Donald Trump. And I said, yeah, you can. Look him up. So I grabbed the phone right there, the conference phone, and I dialed nine in information and said, like to have the you know, Donald, uh, number for Donald Trump. And they said, well, we don't have one, but we have the Trump organization. I said, give me that number. So we, we called, and I got to the receptionist. I got to the, uh, his assistant. And they said, yeah, he's busy. I said, I understand, but would you leave him a message? And I said, make sure he gets it. And I said, I'm Jeff Hazel, the chief marketing officer. He's been Kodak, and I'd like to speak with him. And I have, I have $2 million I'd like to spend with him in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> and if he, can, if he can call me back, um, um, I'd love to talk to him. If he can't call me back in, in 30 minutes, I said, then, I, then move on. I'm not interested. And so when I said to Rhoda, who was his assistant, I said, you have 28 minutes now. <laughs> and so, um, and the time was clocking. Well, within 10 minutes, he called. Um, and it was him on the phone, and we talked, and it was a very great conversation. And I said something about putting our printer on his show. And, and he said, well, we, we're not coming back next year as The Apprentice. And, and, he, and then he tried to sell me on his, you know, doing something with his golf course. Of course, only as Trump could do, right? You know, it's two million bucks, he wants it. And, you know, he's that yeah. kind of a guy. And, and then, then I, as we were, I said, no, I'm not interested in golf. I really need something scrappy. I said, you know what would be cool is if you guys ever did a show with, like, sports people on it or, or maybe celebrities or, you know, washed-up celebrities, that'd be cool. And <laughs> to put them in a real-life situation, he goes, that's a heck of an idea. He said, would you, would you do the show if we did the show? I said, yeah, I'd do the show. And he goes, would you tell that to Mark Burnett? I said, sure. And he gave me Mark Burnett's phone number. I called Mark when I hung up, um, got his cell phone. It was on his cell phone. He answered it. I woke him up because it was 930 in the morning. I remember that, which was 630 in, uh, in California time. And, um, yeah, and so uh, within a month and a half, the show was on air. That is that on, that, Is that yeah. an awesome story. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, what's cool about it is, is you, don't, 
you know, people say, I, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, talk about social media. Let's talk about that. You know, I have like 600,000 followers on Twitter, I'm, you know, like 100,000 on LinkedIn and this and that. And I remember when I first told my team that, you know, when I stepped out of the corporate world and started building up social and saying, look, we have to have engaged fans and, you know, and, and there's a celebrity factor. If you want, if I'm going to be the celebrity, you know, business executive, then I have to have celebrity numbers. So I said, back then I said, just go get me 100,000 on Twitter. Make sure that we can build organically our, our following up to 100,000. And the team came back to me and said, well, with the goal, they, their goal was 25,000. I said, what's that? And they go, well, we're worried about the budgets. And I said, who gave you a budget? I, told, I said, go get 100. Because if you don't get 100, if you don't do things with zeros, you know, then it doesn't make it big. But more importantly is, Sometimes we limit ourselves in our own thinking about what we can do or how we can do it, and we don't think big enough, and we don't act bigger. And that was a great example. Even even with a big company with a hundred and eighty-one billion dollar you know budget, you know gross revenue, wasn't thinking big enough on how we could get to Donald Trump or how we could get to the Celebrity Apprentice show, or how to tur- how to take the clock off the wall and change the clock, the timing, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, be a clock changer, yeah. <laughs> Right. You know, when you see, yeah. Yeah, see things that are wrong, fix them. See, when you see things that are wrong, fix them, right? Easy. Yeah, we, we yeah. are uh, leasing agents. You know, our jobs are to fill vacancies in shopping centers. And we, we in the first half of this call, we were talking about how, the, how many times we had an idea, oh, maybe Starbucks will go here or maybe Panera or maybe the local bagel guy. And then we don't make the call because we think we just tell them no in our minds. Oh, well, they're not going to want it. And so, and then I say, and then, uh, oh, and then a month later, you drive by the, the competing shopping center, and you see a coming soon sign for the exact prospect or business yeah. that you thought about calling but didn't because you didn't take the action. Or I love this even in your retail world or, or commercial world, uh, unreasonable expectations. I give you a great example. I'm in New York City. I have, we have offices in New York, LA, San Francisco, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And by the way, you're going to ask why Sioux Falls, and my answer is because we can. There you go. Boom. You know, um, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting in Sioux Falls today. I'm sitting in Sioux Falls today because I just did an executive retreat week, where I had a whole bunch of CEOs come in, and we, we executive retreat in South Dakota means we went pheasant hunting, so that's what we did for the week. So, but I, you know, in New York, I'm I'm in a very fashionable area where my office was, and it's right next to the Ace Hotel, and the rent rates through that area, which is called Nomad, north of Madison Avenue, is going through the roofs. And so my rent went from seven grand a month, and they came to me and said, well, my lease is up. It's gonna, I needed to pay 26000 a month for the same space. Wow. And I said, yeah, exactly. I said, you're, and you guys know what I said. I, can't, I won't even use that language on this show, okay? You know, you know, go, you know and that's exactly what I said in true New York style. But I said, here's what I'll do. You know, I said, my lease is up in three months. I said, when it's over, I'll do a month-to-month with you at the same rate, and I'll stay in here until you get somebody else. At least you'll have the revenue. I still have an office. I don't have to move, but I don't mind moving if I have to move. You kick me out, I'll go. But I I would really like to stay because it was so convenient and so forth. And they said, no, it's worth more, and you got to go. I, that place said vacant for 18 months. Uh, 18 months that they could at least had my revenue, you know. So, again, unreasonable expectations. We, we do that in business all the time. Either not being creative and acting on it or having unreasonable expectations will kill you every time. 
Um, unbelievable. So one more, one last question, and then, um, and I think some of the audience has a question. But one last question for me is: We deal a lot. So the question is: Is when you know what do you think as leasing agents when we are meeting with prospective tenants, whether they're startups or they have other locations? What do you think is the number one? criteria we should be zoning in on, you know, is it that they have enough capital? Is it that they, you know, what do you think is the thing we should look for when we're leasing them to come into our shopping centers? Well, I think you should be looking at what value it's going to provide to them. So you paint the picture of the value. Let them understand. Look, the, look the, you want to make sure they've got enough money to pay for it and so forth. That, that is a criteria. But the first thing is, what is it you're trying to solve for them? Is it foot traffic? Is it vision? Is it, is it uh, you know, accessibility? Is it you know, all those pieces that make it, make it successful? It's really about helping them achieve their goals. And so having a great understanding of that then gets you to the place where you can then focus in on the kinds of places they, they really need. If you, if you start with budget first, you know, if you start with a lot of the other criteria that you would have, um, then I think you start pigeonholing them in rather than being a real partner to their business. Because if you're a partner to their business, I, I give you a great example. Oh, this is actually wonderful. There's a guy named Brendan Steiner who owns Steiner's Collectibles. It's, he's the guy that bought the Yankee Stadium. Okay? He bought the Yankee Stadium when wow. they went to the new stadium, tore it down, and sold it off piece by piece. Paid $28 million for it. Well, Brandon just recently is, well, oh, I guess I shouldn't say this. But uh, anyway, he's going to start a new business. All right? <laughs> he went to the land. Yeah, he went to the landlord, and he's got all the stuff doing. And he's signing the deal, getting ready to sign. He goes, "No, I want to meet you." He goes, "Well, you don't have to meet me. You know, just sign the documents, be done with." It. He says, "No, no, no, I want to meet you." And so they met each other. He says, "I just want to look you in the eye. I want you to know that I'm gonna, I'm going to be growing faster than this space I'm in, and I want to know if you're going to be there with me when I'm ready." That's all wow. I want to do. I want to look you in the eye. So you, get, so you kind of get what I'm talking about. Now, there's a valuable landlord. There's a valuable partner. And you want to be a partner. So if you're concentrating on my needs, wants, dreams, hopes, aspirations, and you helping me get there, guess who I'm going to look for when my space, I need a second space, a third space, right. a fourth space. Yeah, because successful people will. They'll need more space and then other space. I love that. I love that. Greg, did you have a question for Jeff? Yeah, hey Jeff, uh, Greg Parsons here. So, in the beginning of the book, you mentioned the Caitlin rule, and I think we can all kind of attribute, you know, understand what that is. Where is Caitlin today? Caitlin is a very successful uh, young woman, professional woman, who's in charge actually of the Plaza Hotel in New York City. Wow. Yeah. How long was she when with you? Uh, probably about two years. Huh. Two years. So I guess and then, you, and then so I guess she, you yeah, she went on to another job. <laughs> so I guess yeah. you weren't wrong when I guess you weren't wrong when you said like this this woman's gonna go places from the back of the room of your speech. Oh, absolutely. You can you can <laughs> see you you know, the biggest thing I talk to most people about and you know, I have a podcast called All Business, I have another one called Hero Factor. And when I'm interviewing people and I'm interviewing the execs, the number one thing we talk about, the biggest headache and the biggest joy is around talent, around people. And I, I'm laughing because today I have a, a bunch of new people that are in our, our, one of our companies called Tallgrass Public Relations, which stands for 
and it's a social media company. It stands for if you want to run with the big dogs, you got to learn to pee in the tall grass. And um, you know, and I was talking to a bunch of new staff, and I actually said, Do "You want to know what the Caitlin Rule is?" And of course, they've been on staff, but they hadn't read the book yet. And I said, you "Maybe you should read the book," you know. And that was my first. That's my first. My first hint or warning. The, the next one was I explained the rule. So I'm laughing because I got to tell that story today. But it's so true. And then throughout the time, because I'm growing so fast in our organization, you know, that, that I have to turn to people and say, if I have to answer that question, what do I need you for? You need to come up with that. You need to do that. That's your job. You should be thinking of these things. You know, I don't want to be the smartest, the talented, the best looking in the room. I want you to be that, you know. And, and so that's the way. It's the a tallest. great place. I am. Yeah, in my group, I am. I am. Yeah. I'm bigger than necessary, as they say. Yeah. Right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining our call. We really appreciate it. Audience, do not leave because I'm going to talk to you about next month. But, Jeff, I really appreciate it, and I'll see you at the next NSA event. And go buy the rest of Jeff's books. Right, Jeff? Yeah. All right. I will be there. I will be there with cowboy boots on. So we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> thank, thank you, you. very Bye-bye. much. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. It's always great to have the authors on. I just think it adds so much to the call. So, um, okay, the next call, December 20th, uh, your Christmas present from me will be Relentless, From Good to Great to Unstoppable by Tim Grover. I started listening to it. It's very interesting. And then I'm working on putting out the list for 2020, but I can tell you now what the January book is going to be is the retail leasing playbook by none other than me so my new book is coming out we're, we're, it'll be delivered by the end of the month and greg parsons will be interviewing me on that call so um so good to great by uh i'm sorry relentless from good to great to unstoppable by tim grover on december 20th i hope you guys have a great thanksgiving thanks for participating and uh go lease some space awesome Thanks, Beth, do you have the date for January Book Club? I don't yet. We, we're okay. going to work on that this weekend. Yeah. So December okay. 20th. Are you going to be at New York ICSE with I am. copies of be, it? Yes, I'm going to have copies at the New York show. Okay. I'll have a booth. I'm going to be in Atlanta next week, and then I'll be at New York. We have a booth. I'm speaking the day before the event opens, and um, I'll, have, I'll have books at the booth. Okay, cool. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks.